1: My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Michael Kroom. We're at Southeast Wine Collective in Portland. It's June 18th, 2020. Michael, thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, First
0: question, most important question is, why wine? Uh, Well, um, it's a funny question, and of course, the most topical one. Um, uh, You know, if I'm just going to literally trace... I can't really say exactly how this happened, how this came about but um, I, know, I know the literal steps that it took me to get here and, and why I continued to be here so um, I, um, I was a culinary school graduate, I was, uh, I was a cook uh, for years and a chef um, from Sacramento and uh, halfway through culinary school, I dropped out and um, was living in San Francisco at the time. And uh, my brother uh, was extremely convincing about uh, me going back to culinary school. And uh, um, he's there was a a, I remember this very intense uh, this very intense day with my brother and my father where it was like it was almost like an intervention like they like cornered me and were like it's time to like finish something in your life and um, and there's a lot of truth to that and value so long story short they got me to to go back, so uh, the Culinary Institute of America in, in Hyde Park, and I and I went back and finished my studies there, and um, sure enough, like, the second to last class of the CIA is uh, a wine intensive that's, I can only draw the comparison to, like, level ones, sommelier certification type of thing, like, really broad, but Detailed wine course, um, uh, mostly geographical, but uh, tasting five to ten wines every day, um, and it was it was told or kind of passed down from class to class that this was the hardest class uh, at the CAA, highest failure rate, um, and. I, for whatever reason, I was never a very studious person. Uh, but for whatever reason, it like lit this little fire in me, like that I, I I had to pass this class, and I and I really wanted to also. Like I wanted to prove to myself that like I could really do, I could pass this class that was uh, uh, known to be so challenging, and so. Oddly enough, I quit drinking uh, like two days before this class so that I could like really bear down and focus. And at the CAA, it's like a harder harder, to, uh, harder to do than than you might think. It's like very much a drinking culture there, as you might imagine, lots of cooks mm-hmm. and students, and so really just bear down, focused. Uh, and like put myself in the front of the classroom, just like glued my eyes to the PowerPoints and the teacher, and, like, took all these notes and like, I didn't even know how to take notes, <laughs> like I'm just like, you know, I, I feel like I'm, uh, I, I'm really committing to being a, a student in a classroom for the first time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and sure enough, like just loved it and like ate it up and every day would go home with my roommate and we would just like pour over note cards and uh, stay up till one o'clock in the morning. Like just, it was just a brutal amount of memorization. And I don't know, it just fed me. And I was really into it. And I, every day I was just, I remember being so surprised at this feeling. Like mm-hmm. I, uh, I really was so sure that I was uh, after graduation I'm gonna be returning to san francisco to go back to cook maybe even at the same restaurant that i've been working at and, like all these these plans and uh and this was just a surprising feeling and then i i the teacher kept coming up to me and he's like s- just took notice and in in me and how much i was i cared and how much i was really trying to focus on wines and um, uh, there was just all this kind of like give and take where it, it was really feeding my um, f- a feeling of feeling of um, just em- it was empowering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up uh, getting the highest grade in the class and that was also a first, <laughs> I think, like ever in my entire life, and uh, and so I was like, all right, so there's something here, and I didn't know what to make of it. I don't, I didn't know what was so interesting about it to me. I just knew that I was interested. Like I said, it was so broad. I was just like, what is it about this that is so exciting to me? And so after graduation, I, you know, there's still a lot of pressure to. To use your culinary degree, so then uh, I moved back to San Francisco as I intended, and, um, and it was just applying all over the place. Uh, had a number of kitchen positions that were offered to me, and I ended up getting kind of a foot in the door as a busser at uh, Michael Mina's Rn74 in San Francisco, which uh, you know uh especially at this time early two thousand tens not only was it one of the hottest restaurants um, but uh, um, the place to be if you uh, if you had any like if you were really serious about wine and i didn 't know if I was really serious about wine but I was like all right, so this is where i 'm going to find out so um Started working there and it was, you know, it was it was almost like this is where I'm s- supposed to be after graduating Culinary Institute of America too. It was like, feels like Culinary Institute of America, you've got, then you got to get into the big boys. Like, got to work for Thomas Keller, you got to work for Michael Mina, like like pick somebody big, <laughs> you know? It was there, you, you don't go from the Culinary Institute of America and then just go work at a little mom and pop was kind of the feel, mm-hmm. the feeling. And <clears throat> so I, um, I started working, and was like trying to weasel my way into to uh, uh, like the the weekly wine meetings, and everybody's like, "Dude, you're a buster, just like just bus. And I was like, "All right, but I'm really interested." And a couple people were like, "Okay, come on." And so I would come to the wine meetings, and sure enough, like it became very clear very early on that I was like in a in a very thick, very long line of very talented people trying to get to the same place that I kind of didn't know if that's where I wanted to be and um and also um, San Francisco was getting brutally expensive, and there was just like all this like there was there was so much uh pushing me out, mm-hmm. and I didn't even know if I wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, you know, at whatever point, I I was having a hard week, probably, and literally looking back, was, you know, it's probably like what anybody would experience, just like, like I might have gotten a, a talking to, mm-hmm. and uh, sure, sure enough, at 22, these things are enough to like convince a young person to be like, I quit, you know, like, like, looking back, so funny what, how how uncommitted I was to this to the point where it was like the smallest things made me want, made me want to get out. But I was like, all right, there's also just a hands-on aspect that I'm missing, like from working in kitchens, and there is a, uh, an aspect about this wine thing that I, it's the might be the creation of it, like making wine that's maybe the more interesting part about this, mm-hmm. rather than the studies and selling and becoming a small EA. And so I uh, literally picked, I, you know, I had one bag. I was living at this point, because San Francisco was so freaking expensive, I was living on uh, my friend's couch and had been for about a month and a half. And, um, was literally able to put everything in a bag and hop in a friend's car that was on their way down to Paso Robles, and I had a friend down there, so I went down and stayed with a friend for a week and spent that week while he was at work going around to, uh, it was, this was, oh, must have been like late September, early October, and and I was going around to sellers, just like, hey, is there any chance I could like, you know, come help out like for a harvest and. Everybody's like, no, we're full. We got everybody we need, except for one person. It was a Sextant winery down in Paso Robles. And they're they're pretty big. I mean, I think 2012, when I worked for them, they were, they might've done like around 800 tons. So pretty big, Mm -hmm. Whole Foods uh, at the time, BevMo, like they had some really big accounts. Mm -hmm. But I was still one of, I was one of three people working in the cellar. Um, which looking back like like an impossible position to get when you have zero experience <laughs> and you're just like uh, walking, walking off the street yeah exactly <laughs> like uh and i came to find that years later when i um was trying to get a, a similar sized position in new zealand it was like you know it's like no, we need somebody who literally knows how to do everything without any supervision. <laughs> I don't know how I got the job, but I was able to get my hands on absolutely The Seller Master just was like, oh my God, that poor guy. Like he had to train me on every single thing before I did it. Like I don't even, it's madness. And uh, so he, and he, but he was, you know, he was a saint, he was just such a nice guy and uh so he he basically gave me my entire cellar experience like still to this day my my entire cellar experience is at one winery uh for i was there for about a year and a half and but i was able to do absolutely everything over and over again and uh my winemaker after i i had overstayed my welcome at a friend's house (laughs) once again uh which is certainly uh the the pattern at this time uh the the my winemaker was planting his own little vineyard on this hill and he had an airstream trailer parked up there so he could do work and stay up there it was like out in the middle of nowhere and he was like i am never i'm never there go stay in the airstream trailer so then i I move into this Airstream trailer and I'm living like country life, like, like my nearest neighbor is two and a half miles away. I am alone in a trailer and have a lot of time to think. No internet, no nothing. Like this is like me, a book, a lot of alcohol a lot of hikes and walks and like a, a lot of time to think too much time to think about where my life is headed and what I'm doing um, and uh, I certainly started to question my path getting paid $10 an hour with uh, $200,000 of culinary school debt and uh, what am I what am I gonna be a winemaker like I there's just so many questions at this point in my life what the what the hell am I doing and um, and sure enough I talked myself kind of out of, out of it again and um, and I was starting to uh, date my now wife um, at the at the time she was living in Los Angeles um, getting her feet on the ground in her career. she's a pastry chef and uh, and, and so there's a lot of time to talk and she would visit on weekends and we'd kind of work this through and we'd explore you know like all these ideas and dreams and you know just uh, and at some point like I got this idea and she it, at one point her father in a conversation was like, really talked me into uh, the idea that I I should be making a lot more money Uh, to to keep doing exactly what I'm doing. He just was like, go demand $14 an hour. You should be making $14 an hour. And I was like, yeah, I do. I definitely deserve that. And so literally like the next day walked in and was like, walked to the wine and I I was like, Hey, I need to be making more money. I need to be making $14 an hour. And if I can't make $14 an hour, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to leave. And he's like, our, our seller master makes thirteen <laughs> fifty. <laughs> like, He's like, i would see you later. <laughs> like, it was literally that. So I was like, uh, oh, OK. Uh, can I keep staying in the trailer? <laughs> like, <laughs> and he's like, sure. Sure, and so I stayed in Paso Robles, went and found a job as the, the head of uh, events chef for a, a really great farm and table restaurant in Paso Robles, and immediately just like, like switched gears. And now I'm like back in the kitchen world. Um, uh, working at wineries, but serving them food, like, you know, like same scenery, totally different world. And, and it was really satisfying. It was like, this is great. Like I'm really enjoying being back in the kitchen. And I miss this. And uh, and so I, I really enjoyed living that life for um, I think close to a year. And, um, Drew even more questions. Like, was well, this is this more important to me? And uh, um, and all the time, like getting lonelier and lonelier <laughs> in this airstream trailer on the top of this mountain. <laughs> and um, uh, at some point, I think then the the job kind of like just the some bureaucracy or whatever, little little naggy things as you get settled into a job the honeymoon phase kind of dies away and it's just like there was enough nagging and not enough joy and fun to for me to like continue enjoying living this country life and my um, my wife and I were getting more serious and um, I despite my uh, my knowing uh My knowing distaste for Los Angeles was like, I'm coming to LA and we're going to move in together and uh, we're going to go, I'm going to go back to living city life, which God, it sounded appealing at the time, like (laughs) living, like my brother lived down there and, and I'd go down there every other week. And I was like, my visits, I was like, Oh, I miss this. I miss people and fun and all this. And it didn't really matter what career opportunities waited me. I was just like, I'm ready to go back to being a normal 20-year-old. So moved down and really was, I think I remember, uh, in the car on, on the drive down, like surfing Craigslist for, I think I literally just typed in like in jobs or whatever it was, just wine. It's just like, just searched wine and uh, it was it was pretty bleak, except for this one uh, wine sales position uh, for this super tiny too tiny um, uh, argentinian wine importer um, I applied and he was like yeah please (laughs) like I I, we have gotten no responses (laughs) to this (laughs) to this job so yes you just get the job you don't have to be qualified at all so I got this job and I'm like yes I've made it I am a wine salesman uh, for a uh, Little Argentinian wine book in LA, and I was like, I'm gonna just like, he's he's gonna pay me hourly and uh, uh, whatever the word is, commission, yeah, commission, exactly. Uh, I'm like, I'm gonna just be rolling in it, and like just started hitting the pavement, It was like, oh my god, like just like I would be like, hey, I have a seat, no, 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 no no <laughs> like nobody and i just remember like sitting and I, and I like making cold calls and sending emails and uh you know at some point it was like few and far between that i was doing any work for this uh wine importer because it was just like I, I think the cheapest bottle of wine that i had to sell was like 25 and it went all the way up to like 110 wholesale <laughs> like the it was just like how how am i gonna sell this there was this like one argentinian restaurant on the west side of l.a and uh, um i remember going back to that restaurant like every week like argentinian food argentinian wine and he's like yeah but not that kind of Argentinian wine. Like I just had no one to sell it to. So quit and um and then uh worked uh, got a job at an ice cream shop. <laughs> so I had a scoop an ice cream. And um after two months of that I was like, alright <laughs> Okay. And my wife was finishing up a job uh, and uh, we were like what's next and we decided we should travel and we um, uh, we went and worked harvest in New Zealand we were able to both land a position at a Constellation Brands winery in Marlborough, and we worked the night shift 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., six days a week for three months. Literally, during at least this fall, probably only this fall in New Zealand, every single night at 7 p.m., it started to pour (laughs) torrentially and every morning at 7 a.m. it would stop, and the sun would come out, and we'd go to bed. And we, like, hadn't seen the sun in months, and were drenched from, because we'd just work outside the whole night, and uh, uh, got to see that side of the wine industry. And really eye-opening, and uh, potentially a little discouraging, but, um, and a, obviously a very different type of harvest, one of 80 uh, harvest hands Jeez. at this place. 80,000 tons of Semillon Blanc we produced in two and a half months, like 24 hours a day, trucks rolling in, Semillon Blanc, unbelievable. It was like just was spectacular, truly. Um, and so we, we, uh, we finished harvest traveled around New Zealand for a while. This is like 23, 24 years old, both of us and uh, neither of us knowing what the heck the next step was like what are we going to go back to doing and uh, My wife got a call from uh, a chef at the time back in, back in Los Angeles actually who was the pastry chef of rn 74 when I was there, executive pastry chef, Lincoln Carson, he's a really huge deal in the pastry world. And so it was like, all right, well, that's, that's good enough. You have an amazing career opportunity, let's go back to Los Angeles. So we moved back to LA and I was like, all right, I've been beating the door, beating at the door of the wine, front of the house wine world for a long time. I don't know if this is gonna keep going but I, um, I wanted to try again, so I went just kind of cold calling again, um, not even places that were blatantly needing employees or anything, just like places I wanted to work and uh, got two jobs in a week, like after we got back. I got a job as a um, sales associate at a natural wine shop, on the west side, and then I got a host position at a really spectacular Southern Italian wine shop with um, kind of like, I mean, just super small, old school Italian wine list, um, also natural or minimal intervention, but just because it's like that type of wine list where this is the way it's always been done type Mm -hmm. of thing, not uh, hip or anything. And so I, all of a sudden, had just like two amazing worlds of exposure that um, were brand new to me, and uh, like just extremely um, interesting. I was just uh, and 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 just taking these wines home and getting to taste them. I was just like, this is what I want to drink. All of this, like, um, so all of a sudden, then. Uh, There's a little bit of a spark in me, just like, for the ethos of uh, what is interesting to me about being in the wine world. And there's a little bit more like, this is why I'm here, Um, and I still don't know if I want to sell it, um, or if I want to make it, but it's like extremely, this is, this makes more sense. This is a little more grounding. Minimal intervention, and hearing a lot of the stories of winemakers coming through both the shop and the restaurant, um, and I, I really felt for the first time like, okay, now I'm I'm in the wine world, like on some level, and uh, that was that was empowering itself. So I, I ended up working both of those jobs for two three years, and um, got to know a lot of people and. Um, and then I was able to leave both of those for a position ended up at, uh, at the restaurant, the Italian restaurant. I ended up getting a, a shoe in at the behind the bar, and so I'd, I was a bartender trying to keep my wine interests alive. And I ended up getting a job offer at a shop called Esther's Wine Shop on the West Side, which is now been awarded a couple of years in a row, like the best best wine shop in Southern California, and rightfully so. Um, and Coker, who's the um, owner and uh, sommelier for all of the Rustic Canyon restaurants, which are Jeremy Fox's restaurant group down there, um, is amazing and really bridges kind of this gap between the natural wine world and, and just kind of, it just like just focusing on what is good wine, like what is like what is wine that we innately enjoy drinking, and that's what fills the shelves of her restaurant. And I, um, I ended up getting a, a bar manager position there, and um, and spending our last year and a half, almost two years there, and just once again like intense exposure to um, to winemakers coming through. And um, it was like a hub for West Side wine events and all sorts of things. And at this point, we were we had we had our first kid, my wife and I, and we're pregnant with our second. And there was like this desperate need to get out of LA. Like we've been there for almost eight years, and um, and. With one, we could barely fit in. In you know, LA is just like you have a kid, get out! <laughs> like we have no place for you here. <laughs> it is crazy, you know. And it has kind of followed in suit from from San Francisco. A lot of the tech scene moved down there. It's just like <laughs> money, just so much money, and everything was so expensive. So it was. We both we're, were both on board with that. And but the 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 obvious question was where. Um, we were both, all of a sudden, had kind of, we, we didn't know if we, we wanted quiet country life or a little bit more peaceful life with the kids, or if we still wanted to be where the action was, where my wife could uh, really keep chasing um, what was a flourishing uh, uh, pastry chef career in Los Angeles and Portland was this like really obvious decision for us. And I didn't even know how good it was going to be until we got up here. Like we really, we came up here for a week. We we're like, it's beautiful, uh, that it's, it's peaceful. We can afford it. We, it's kind of the best of both worlds for where we want to be and what we want to do. And so, um, Getting up here in June of 2018, um, I immediately landed a position as the barn manager at Laurelhurst Market. And um, we, a month or two, two months later, we uh, we had our second, our daughter, and um, she was born August 6th. And by the end of August, I was like, I hope you don't mind, babe. (laughs) But I want to keep managing the bar at Little Hearts Market and I want to buy a ton and a half of grapes and go, go try making my own wine, the Southeast Wine Collective. Hope you don't mind if I'm never here for you and our two kids. And she's like unbelievably supportive because, you know, I think she just saw that there's a lot of one excitement and that she might have not hadn't seen in a while and um just like a little bit of desperation. Like I need to keep searching. And um Actually, it was beginning of September. Our whole backyard was covered in these extremely delicious local table grape called the Jupiter grape. Um, they taste they tasted like passion fruit. They're so good, but they're a red grape with pinkish red flesh. And um, and I just like there was a whole uh, like a little. Uh, home beer store down the street, and where I was able to get enough stuff to like press these grapes, a little bit of skin contact, just put them in a crown cap bottle, and let it chill for uh, for a month. And we popped one open, and like I, you know, it's just native ferment, little like tiny one uh, one seventy five bottle pet nats. And we popped one open. We're like, it's delicious. I was like, I'm a winemaker. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so like, so I, you know, I got a little cocky and came in. Met Tom. He was like, Yeah, come on in. We'll we'll have you. And I found these organic dry farm grapes out in Chehalem. and they had just gotten the vineyard. And They didn't know if they were gonna be able to sell it. It was their first time selling their own grapes after they. Um, their vineyard back from a vineyard management company and so they were nervous and they were like just like take them for super super cheap and I was like well I could actually do this <laughs> and so it's just this wild experiment and um, needed tons of advice along the way uh, thank God for Southeast Wine Collective um, and made the made my my red wine and sure enough it was crazy delicious and uh found out like a couple months later that no one just experiments for the first time making wine with pinot like that's not where you start and uh i was like all right well let's just you know keep going until i run this thing into the ground Uh, and um the ethos is 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 vague but it's there and still developing it, but uh, more than anything, it's just this intensely fulfilling passion project that is, one, entirely my own, and then, two, um, hopefully providing what I always have and will probably always feel like the wine world needs, which is just diversity and just something else, like something a little different and um, uh, hopefully can, can continue to honestly find ways of doing that, which is harder than like, it's, it's the co-ferment thing of, of, of combining varieties that may or may not really make sense together. Um, started with the original vineyard, which was planted noir and gris and I was like, well that does kind of make sense and I do want to make that. Um, this last year adding the Chardonnay, Gruner, Albariño was kind of more like, let's see how renegadey I could be and then, and it, but it works like both kind of, for me at least, mentally the idea of these varieties going together and certainly drinking it, it makes sense. Um, but I, I do foresee some challenges of continuing to find uh those coferments that that honestly are things I I am excited to do without it starting to feel like I'm just combining varieties because that's sort of what people expect out of uh out of my wine label, but I, I don't want it to become that. So I, I have, I'm i sure that there will be uh, single variety expressions of certain things, depends on what I can get my hands on, especially this year. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a really w- weird, wild year, but um, uh, I'm just sort of taking it one step at a time and, and much like how I got here, I'm just sort of listening and watching my path mm-hmm. and Trying not to panic, trying to stay in the moment and in the day, and um, and if it works, it works, and um, and just respecting that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's sort of how I've gotten to at least this place, and. Um, Yeah, I mean, talking to you, talking to people in the industry, you know, the people that help me make my wine every day and their profound knowledge for the industry um, that I, I frankly just don't have. And having a four-year-old and two-year-old that I'm more or less the primary caretaker for right now, I may not have the exposure to that world for years to come. And it's really interesting to think about that I, I might... Uh, I might get like years and like many vintages under my belt before I really have any connection to the Oregon wine world like really I'm I have my, my, my time and my ability is like surfing wine business classifieds and like seeing what grapes are out there and making quick hour runs to go buy used barrels and like Scraping up what other people have deemed junk and like trying to use it uh, to, to further this project. But I haven't, you know, outside of South, Southeast Wine Collective, there's very few people in the industry I've really gotten to know or have intimate chats with. Or, uh, so, it, it, in a lot of ways, talking about the path, like, this might just be my path for years to come, and, and I think with a lot of people, there's, with exposure, and as they get further into the industry, they're surrounded by influential people. And so, naturally, their path kind of steers, and t- twists, and takes turns, depending on how they're influenced, and um, and just, I mean, I, I'm certainly still capable of, of seeing trends, and, and um, and being influenced by those, uh, but um, but even that, like I think, I, I won't be as exposed to the trends uh, for the next few years. Uh, and so there's a lot of this that will probably be unique, mm-hmm. just based on my circumstances. And I I'm I'm excited about that. I'm happy about that. And I, I I wish I could talk with more people and hang out with Drew Herman and. Tom Monroe and everybody uh, more often and talk to talk and uh, kind of just absorb all that through osmosis. But uh, right now it is very much just my journey. And it's, I am both uh, very humble, very grateful and humbled uh, to be be in this world, really, at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Winemaker in a bubble, almost. Yes. So tell me about
1: the, as you decided, as after you had your backyard wine and decided you were a winemaker, uh, tell me about making, designing the label, designing your name, coming up with what how you wanted to express, your, your wine to be expressed artistically.
0: Well, it was, uh, you know, it was a fumbling, bumbling thing. It was way harder than, than naming and naming my children, it was like this kept me up at nights. Like this is gonna be the the thing. I named this one time and and designed this one time and I and especially working in front of the house down in Los Angeles and I felt very aware of how intensely important branding was. I, I felt like uh the quality of the wine and how it was branded were oftentimes two totally separate things and um, both had different paths and ways of it being sold. And I I really wanted both to stand for themselves, but somehow integrate them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, If you haven't been able to tell, I'm a very impulsive person. And uh, one of my impulses in uh, my 20s was to just get my motorcycle license and start riding motorcycles. And it was kind of influenced by the fact that I was spending an hour and a half every day in Los Angeles traffic. And I was like, this will get me where I need to go a little bit quicker. But um, it brought me a lot of joy and also provided me with a a gigantic distraction for years. And um, and just, yeah, I, I like engines and toys and things so i really fell in love with motorcycles uh, over the years and and have owned way too many and then lost way way too much money uh on on buying and selling old motorcycles and uh and suffering the consequences but it brings me a lot of joy, and there's so much freedom in that, and so there's just this topical reference, this topical idea that was from from that feeling uh, that was kind of impulsive freedom and really freedom and uh, and um, having. Being able to make these types of leaps and sort of land on my feet, and hopefully inspiring people on some level um, as this develops to to trust their their path mm-hmm. and to trust those dreams that they always think about, that they always are like wondering, could I do that? Uh, to to actually. Um, just get out there and start, and just start trying, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And um, letting letting things unfold rather than keep nagging. So there's it's just sort of this topical reference of of um, of uh, getting out and doing those things that you've always wanted to do.
1: Um,
0: and uh, I when I first. There's also like this this reference to just what I felt like I had heard from so many people in the wine industry about making wine naturally or you know native ferments and low sulfur so many people that were are so discouraging towards that, just, just talking about the quality and stuff. And, and I felt like the same thing when I started riding motorcycles. So many people discouraging you and telling you not to do it. And, um, and uh, to just kind of get it, just start and feeling the wind in your face type of thing. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of that for both. Mm-hmm. A little bit of just like feeling nature hit you in the face, which is cool. So that's open face, as as the name is in. Yeah, the motorcycle helmet just like taking taking the cover off. And we were talking as we got
1: here a little about your the label designs. Tell us a little about that that process as well.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Kim Parks, a spectacular uh, graphic designer here in town. Um, I owe her. Uh, I you know, it's all. Uh, relative, but I, I, I genuinely feel like I wouldn't be here without her um, and her uh, in, incredible ability to take my fumblings and bumbling's of what a label and branding is going to be and actually turn it into something beyond what I could have ever expected. And um, uh, um, she just continues to really uh, put her best foot forward for me and. Um, for us, you know, I, I, I hope that this really um, is is inspiring to her as it's been to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah, just uh, you know, from from literally like a Google imaging picture of uh, of some jackass riding a motorcycle with some pretty colors around it to like getting to this thing with it that feels. Honest and natural and free flowing. Um, um, it was interesting to me talk, talking, you were talking about your, your kind of
1: path in and how kind of narrowly focused it's been. Um, tell me about this place and about working with people here and in the space here and how this is, since this is kind of your main connection to the industry.
0: Right, and um, generally my interactions with the other winemakers are also limited because. One, I'm I'm always on a time constraint or have been up to this point where I have this amount of finite amount of time, I'm always like in, got to do the work, get out, and I usually get to have a little bit of small chat with other winemakers, but hopefully in the coming years I also just get to have more uh, interactions with winemakers here, but my I, my... Closest confidants are Tom and uh, Drew and Kate and uh, and, and Alex. The, they're, um, they're talking about you know uh, Oregon wine Ar- archives and I, I, I just have been thinking a lot about these guys lately and and how. Not you know not just Tom and Kate as the winemakers, but um, how unbelievably influential uh, the, all these people are in their um, in their tutelage, in their uh, in just their incredible wealth of information, in helping people. Uh, understand what it is they're trying to do <laughs> like mm-hmm. I know I know that I'm everybody ha- uh, uses um, uses these people here for as sounding boards mm-hmm. and um, and I, I know that everyone's wine reaps the benefits um, and in that sense I'm I just it's incredible like There's there's something about uh, I, I always wanted to be naturally good at something. I always wanted it to like t- like something to tell me that it was what I wanted to do. <laughs> I didn't want to make that decision and like go to school and work really hard at it. I wanted to be I wanted to have some sort of innate ability and. Um, and I, there was something about that with cooking that I needed. Um, like by the time I finished school, I was almost like I knew too much, and I had, I, I'd like, <laughs> like all this education had kind of killed some of the magic. Um, and I always kind of wished hearing stories from other people that had got into kitchens just by working, and they. They were so driven by their passion and their interest in learning along the way. Um, And it it seemed to continue to feed them year after year. And uh, I feel like, at this point, I'm sort of on that same path with winemaking, in that um, it's just an odd, it's just odd to be entering the this career and this work as a winemaker, I think, is the weirdest part about it. But the fact that I just kind of get to, um, I get to learn so much every year, and um, and in in a sense, Southeast Wine Collective is is my my uh, foundational, uh, my my school, mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. my education. Um, uh, having practical seller experience is obviously uh, extremely valuable um, and I, I have that though I'm sure people get frustrated with me on a daily basis here. I would imagine. <laughs> I, I, I know for a fact. Uh, but um, to have a little bit more depth of knowledge um, just walking around me and uh, sure. it's uh, really invaluable. Sure. Yeah, and and I can only imagine what this what this place has meant for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about uh, we were talking a bit off camera before
1: we started about (laughs) kind of the the, the bad timing for you and your wife uh, this year uh, with with COVID. So tell me about kind of what's in the future for you and your brand uh,
0: as you look ahead. Well, it's a funny thing to to be where I am, as it's it's not going to kill me as much as it's going to hurt other people. Like I still, hopefully, if everything goes even sort of as planned over the next few months, in that things reopen a little bit, and I can move a little bit more, and oddly enough, hopefully land some distribution, Mm I can still sort of ramp up. I can still hopefully increase production in 2020, which is an odd thing to be able to say, considering everyone else that I've heard of is trying to figure out how to downsize and, and get a little more focused. Which, in some ways, is not a bad thing. Um, at least personally, I, I I would feel that way. Sometimes it's. To have something force you to focus your um, what, you, what you want your business and your, your product to stand for. And my wife and I have a lot of conversations about that um, in her bakery. Just um, the, the world g- generally, I think, likes focus. Like, and I think Portland really likes focus, and um, there's going to be a lot of that. In uh, the coming years is like people are going to cut back on the frills and uh, kind of deliver the core of what they hopefully, I hope this is what happens for a lot of people, de- deliver the core of what their business stands for. Restaurants you know, who, whoever it may be like um, And um, and Portland's good at that you know there's a lot of places that stand for that in Portland. Like we just do this one thing really well and that's why you're going to come here, and that's hopefully why we're going to survive. And I hope that's that's well, like the best case scenario. I think is a lot of people survive on on that on their core values. Um, I I'm both terrified and excited to see what happens next. Yeah, yeah. In the food and beverage world.
1: Um, so for yourself, you you mentioned earlier not. That you kind of have started as the the guy who does kind of interesting co-ferments, interesting blends, and maybe not where you want to be pigeonholed. So, is there something out there that you want to try? Something you're looking forward to doing?
0: Yeah, I I sh- I, I, uh, I, I should be able to get my hands on some uh, organic verstruymmaer this year, and that is a, a variety that I I really don't not not only can I not really imagine what I would. Really desire to put with it, but I wouldn't want to taint it with any. Like I, I just love Gewürztraminer in all of its expressions, and it's one of those wines that I came to it and it's like candy sweet representations, and um, and have found you know. I, I, I've heard stories of Gvershamir being torn out in the Oregon Valley, and it breaks my heart. I, I just think it's one of the most incredible grapes, uh, and I hope that it continues to um, uh, be planted and uh, more expressions are are being made. I, I've had um, a number in the last year or two, and uh, i, I uh, I'm extremely excited to to make my first Gerberstramino this year. Nice. Yeah. Um, Okay. Last question for you,
1: and it's interesting your answer to this because of your background. You've had all these different kinds of wine experiences, and you kind of dipped your toe in a lot of places. So, from your experience, what is wine's role in
0: society? It's ever it's ever changing, and I think it's changing for the better. Um, I think there's always going to be a lot of pushback from big money about that, but I think generally, as with a lot of things, uh, artisanal, um, the little players are are gaining more and more traction, and uh, the. The spectrum of what wine is and can be is growing, and I, I love that because mm-hmm. um, there should be all different strokes for all different folks, type of thing. Um, and I just like cooking, just like anything that. That is innately blue collar and has, for whatever reason, developed an air of white collar and privilege and all these things is sort of being taken back to its roots, and um, and is starting to be uh, marketed and, and made for for the average Joe at a high quality level, and I. I am, that is, for me the most promising thing about uh, where wine is headed and what it means to the world um, uh, yeah I uh, I hope I can continue to be that, that's going to also be the goal, is that um, I, I never have to sacrifice quality for uh, and to be able to get it to the people who I want drinking it, and um, and there's a lot of hurdles um, in that regard, and what wine looks like, and and how it's supposed to be on both levels. And I'm, tr- I'm I hope to continue, especially working with Kim in branding, to kind of bridge that gap that I could I can sell the wine for what I need to sell it. Um, to make a buck, um, but hopefully get to uh, you know do more things like starting. You know, this year I started with screw caps, and I hope to to one day be able to get into boxing and bagging and like finding ways of of cutting my costs and um, making the wine. Uh, both in its appearance and at the price point, more uh, approachable to the average person is where I hope that I can stay in, in, in this world. But yeah, you know, and and generally just um, uh, remembering the, uh, remembering the farmers and uh, remembering the land and uh, and e- even if. Uh, Hope that when wineries get to a certain size, to um, to put their do their damnedest to to uh, to try to source from uh, put their money where it matters and put their money into good farming, uh, so that we at least don't take steps backwards and hopefully can keep inching forward and in in um, creating healthy. Uh, diverse uh, farmland, especially in the Oregon Valley. So I know I promised that was the last question, but your answer
1: made me think of one more I want to ask you. So you have all this time uh, on the front end. Uh, now you have a product that has your your name on it and your face on it, sort of, right. uh, that you're selling. Tell me about that process of putting yourself out there and selling a product that is so personal to you.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a great question. And in a lot of ways, it's harder um, than, than selling somebody else's. Uh, I, I, there's, I, I hope to get out of my own way in this respect, but I, I, I don't take pride in this. But I am, um, I feel, I feel bad, <laughs> like talking so highly of myself and my product. Like it's really hard to like really. Your, yourself mm-hmm. e- every every day, day in, day out like I'm this guy that makes this incredible wine, you know, not that that's my sales pitch <laughs> <laughs> well maybe now it is but uh, uh, it's hard to, to really show up every day for yourself and to to, um, to be proud of of your work and your efforts, and I, it's really important that people acknowledge that and to, um, that no matter where, what they've done, to be proud of, to be proud of it. So um, I am trying to get out of my own way in that respect, but it's it's difficult. It's a difficult process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it'll become a little bit easier over the years, mm-hmm. but yeah, certainly in the, it's, it's a strange change. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. so all the questions
1: that I have. Is nice. There anything, anything I didn't ask that, we did, that I should have, anything we didn't cover that I should have That was great. I,
0: I, um, I, uh, I, felt, uh, I felt like I didn't bullshit. <laughs> good. Yeah, That's what we're going for. Which is good. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for it's your pleasure. time today yeah. and for your story. Yeah. And we'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Yeah. Thank you both very much. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast.